Have you ever been in a hurry when God wasn't? All throughout the Bible, we see God telling people to wait. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years for a child. Jacob waited and worked for Rachel to be his wife for seven years, and then worked for her for an additional seven more. Joseph waited 13 years for the fulfillment of his God-given dream that he would one day be a ruler. The children of Israel waited 40 years before entering into the Promised Land. David waited over 10 years from the time he was anointed to become king until he was actually crowned king. Noah waited 120 years from the time God told him to build the ark until the time of the flood actually occurred. So why does God make us wait on the dream he has placed inside of us? Here's the answer. What God does in us while we wait is more important than what we are waiting for. How's that for waiting? What God does in us while we wait is so much more important than what we are waiting for. A few months ago, God gave me a few words to think on. He gave me the words, wait, walk, pace, and grace. I thought, God, what do you want me to do with these words? How can I turn these words into a message? And then I was reminded of this verse that I knew was in Isaiah. And it says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. All right, so God gives me another piece of the puzzle. All right, God, now I got a verse. All right, what do you want me to do? But I didn't really know how to turn that into a message. Or if I really could... And so one Saturday, me and my wife, Allie, we're up at Rose's there behind the mall. We walk in, we're walking around and over by the T-shirts. And there's this shirt. And I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second. Is that, is that my verse? So I look it up real quick. And as I'm standing there in the store, the verse that God had given me, gave me was now right there in front of me. If you want to talk about confirmation from God, if you want to talk about comfort that you know you're going in the right direction, that gave me such peace that I knew that this was something that I needed to learn for myself. And I know Pastor Todd as well as me that most of the time when we preach a message, it's for us. We learn a lot from this, and most of the time it's something that God is working in our lives. So today, if there's anybody here that this message is for, for, I want you to know that it's definitely for me. It's definitely something that I need to learn. I'm not one who likes to wait. You know, I have to be reminded time and time again, baby steps. Baby steps, like when we started, you know, talking about the live streaming, I'm like, all right, we can do all this. And Becky's like, baby steps, baby steps. I'm like, no, I don't want to do baby steps. I just want to go in and boom, like big mega churches. No, baby steps. Wait, 
and God will provide. I am not up here as a perfect man, but I am up here as a progressing man. And God has been calling out to me and saying, Luke, you need to check your pace. You need to look where you're walking. I set the pace, not you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day. I come to you now humbly. Use me, Father. I am your vessel. Help me to speak life into somebody today. Open up someone's eyes. Open up my eyes. And let us know that you set the pace and you are in control. We ask this in your name. Amen. So I want you to bear with me over the next few minutes as we dive into the scripture today. Normally I would be looking back there, checking the time, but the clock is broken. So I guess that means I get to be done when I want to be done. I mean, I hope you guys are good with that. So, you know, some years ago I read about a speedboat driver who recently survived a tragic accident. His boat was at top speeds that when it went up with the combination of the speed and the way that the boat had turned, he was ejected from the boat immediately. And when he was, he went down into the water. He went so far down that he said, I did not know which way was up. I couldn't do anything until the buoyancy of my life jacket began to pull me to the surface. Once he began to discover which way he knew was up, he could swim for the surface. Sometimes we find ourselves surrounded by confusing options. Too deeply immersed in life's problems to know which way is up. When this happens, we need to remain calm, waiting for God's gentle tug to pull us in the proper direction. Sometimes our life vests be another Christian. Sometimes our life vests may be scripture or a leading from the Holy Spirit. But the key to recognizing, the key is recognizing our dependency upon God and trusting in him. How many of you here like waiting? Anybody here just love waiting? They just like going to the doctor's office, sitting for an hour. No, nobody likes waiting. Well, there are some people who like waiting. There are some people who like waiting for a good deal. If you pay attention to the news, there were thousands of people who waited this past Thursday just so they could get a bill to bear for their child or them. I thought $31 was too much to pay for an animal, but they waited just so they could get a good deal. These same people who want to complain that church is too long are the same people who waited for five hours. Now, now it's an awesome thing for those with multiple children or parents who can't normally afford that. But where do we draw the line in waiting? Where do we say, you know what? That's just too much. In our generation, we are a microwave generation. So we want things right away. Instead of being like a crock pot and letting things take a little bit, no, we want things right away. 
And most of the times, we don't want to wait on God. We don't want to wait on God to tell us when the right time is. And sometimes we decide that God is taking too long. And when that, that is when trouble happens. When we decide, God, you're taking too long for this to happen. I'm going to make it happen my own way. Sometimes it's just not the right season. The right thing in the wrong season is a curse. So it's like this. If I gave a 12-year-old kid the car that they were supposed to have at 30 years old, it would be bad for them and everyone else around them. What season are you in in your life? And what is God giving you? And what is God telling you? That's for the future. That's not for you right now. I want you to see it. But you've got to wait a little bit for that. Three points to today's message. Point number one. It can be said one of two ways. I couldn't decide which way I liked it better, so I wanted to put them both up there. So point number one. Keep the promise in front of you or keep your eyes on the prize. Paul said this in Philippians 3.14. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly calling in Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Philippians 3.14. I pursue my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Jesus Christ. Some people in the Bible, they're just like today. They took their eyes off of the prize. They took their eyes off of the promise. And when we take our eyes off of God's promise, that is where we start to fall. And that is where we start to fail. We're going to be looking at a couple different Bible characters today. The first one we're going to be looking at is in Genesis 12. Go ahead and turn to Genesis 12. For here, we're going to be looking at Abram. So in biblical times, after a certain time, God changed people's names. So Abram later on becomes Abraham. So Abram was a descendant of Noah. And a lot of the times when I start studying everything, I start to look up more information than I really need to, and it gets me sidetracked. But since I looked it up, I thought I'd share with you. Abram, like I said, was a descendant from Noah. Noah was Abraham's great-grandfather to the 10th power. So 10 greats became Noah, his grandfather. And even though Noah was that much ahead of Abram, Noah only died Ten years before Abraham was born. So Abram, he came from a godly line. And somewhere along the way, they lost their focus on the one true God. They got into lands they shouldn't have been in. And they started worshiping false gods, false idols. And never once had a second thought about God being their provider. So here is Abram living with his father. And, you know, you know, they're like, you know what? Let's go ahead and move. We're going to go ahead and move. So they set out for Canaan. But they settled in Ur of the Chaldean, which is in modern-day Turkey. So Abram and 
his wife, Sarah, which then was Sarai, and their family, they settled there. And Abram's father passes away. And suddenly, God comes and speaks to Abram. This man who had nothing to do with him, and God calls him out. So starting in verse 1 of Genesis 12, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. Verse 4. So Abraham went. He didn't think about it for a minute. He didn't be like, God, really? You want? No. Just right away. Abraham went. And the Lord told him, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Lot was his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Moreh. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, he built an altar to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. So Abraham, Abram here, 75 years old, he has an encounter with God and God says, I want you to go. And Abraham goes right away. He says, listen, not only do I want you to go, he goes, I want you to know that I am going to bless you. I am going to bless your family and everybody that comes in contact with you, that is a part of you. And I am going to build something wonderful if you only keep your eyes on me. He said, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your reward will be great. So now we're going to go to 15, chapter 15. Turn over to chapter 15, starting in verse 1. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abraham continued, look. You have given me no offspring, so a slave be born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. The one that comes from your slave will not be your heir. Instead, the one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, Abram, look at the sky and count the stars. If you are able to count them, then he said, Your offspring will be that numerous. Your offspring will be that great. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness sake. So once again, here, Abram, 75 years old, he hears that God is going to bless him, and he probably gets all excited, and he goes to his wife, and he's like, hey, listen, babe, listen, God said we are going to have a whole bunch of children. God said we are going to have generations as numerous as the stars. He said he's going to bless us. Sarah is probably like, 
listen here. We are way too old for that. You have no idea what you're talking about. How is he going to give us that many people? We haven't even had a child yet. He said, I know, but God said it. She said, no, I don't know about this. And as time passes, Abram begins to set his own pace. He begins to take his eyes off the prize, off the promise from God, off of that blessing. And so 11 years later, him and Sarai are probably talking and they're like, you know, God did say he was going to bless us. She's like, Abram, you are 86 years old. What can you do? You, no. It's like, come on. She said, you know what? If you think it's possible, why don't you go ahead and have a child with my servant? You know, she's much younger than me. She's more fertile than me. And maybe God will bless that one. And without hesitation, Abram's like, all right. Abram was not strong enough to lead his own family. Men, are you strong enough to lead your own family? Are you strong enough to stand up and say, no, no, listen, this is what God had said. This is God's way. This is the way we are going to do it. At that time, Abram fell. He took his eyes off the prize. He took his eyes off the promise. And because he took his eyes off the promise of God, hardships came because of it. Division between him and his wife. Division between him and God. And off of that offspring came many trials that the Israelites had to face later in life. Because Abram took his eyes off the promise. We need to stop focusing on the problem, and we need to start focusing on the promise. God has given you a promise. He has placed something inside of you. He has placed a vision inside of you. Instead of thinking of all all the problems that you are having right now, reaching that vision, just look around those problems and keep your eyes on that promise. So here is Abram, ten years later, He's still waiting for his own blessing. And eventually, at the age of 99, Sarai conceives. And they have a child. One who was blessed by God. Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. And from Jacob came the 12 tribes of Israel. Abram lost his focus took his eyes off the prize. But when he finally regained it, he said, wow, God, this is awesome. This is the promise that you have given to me. I don't know why I ever took my eyes off of you. I don't know why I ever looked away. Fast forward 400 years later. Point number two, God's way is the best way. So here we are 400 years later in Egypt. And the Israelites are being held as slaves. And finally, Moses was able to talk them into being let go. After the ten plagues, Pharaoh says, you know what? Get out of here. Go, leave our land, take your cattle, take your people. I don't want to see you anymore. And this is where the book of Exodus begins. 
Exodus. It's their exit from captivity and to the promised land. What should have only been at most a one-month journey from where they were at in, in Egypt over to the promised land Some say 11 days, some say 22 days, just depending on how many times they stopped. So at tops, a one-month journey took them 40 years. A lot of people say, well, you know what? They took their eyes off of God a lot. They did. And that was a big hesitation for them. But I want to look at Exodus 13, starting in verse 17. Put a little different perspective. Because remember, God's way is the best way. So starting in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said, the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. So God led the people around towards the Red Sea, along the road of the wilderness, and the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. So even though Moses made his mistakes, he was also very clear with God the whole time. He said, God, if you're not there, I'm not going. I'm only following you. You are the one who leads my steps. And even though God took them the long way, sometimes God takes us the long way so he can show us something along the way. I know it's a rough and hard thing to swallow, but maybe the shorter way, maybe that would have caused more pain, more heartache. More brokenness. Maybe the shorter way would have ended up you so far from God that you wouldn't even recognize him. He stood right in front of you. God's way is always the best way. And I know it's hard. I struggle with it all the time. But it's something we need to be reminded of. It's something... That we need to think about every day. God, this is your way. Your will. Your way. There was a reason God had me wait till I was 26 to really, to get married. Wait wait until I was 24 to find that person. If I would have started dating a whole bunch right out of high school, the brokenness that could have came from all those relationships could have been a stumbling block and could have been a barrier in between what me and my wife have now. Before I met her, I so wanted a girlfriend. I so wanted a mate. We would be at family functions. My sisters would have their men. My brothers would have their women. And I'm like, man, God, what about me? I'm serving you. I'm walking faithfully. Why can't you give me somebody? but I'm so glad I waited because he gave me the one who I love and adore more than anything. And when you wait for God's timing, things fall into place. 
God knew that if he let the Israelites go the short way, that the opposition that they would face would be too much for them to handle. He knew that once they stepped in that first little battle, they'd be like, wow, this is too much. We're giving up. We're going back. You know, I know, God, you said that that promised land is ours, but this is too much for us to handle. Let's just go back to Egypt. He knew they would lose their focus. So he said, yes, this way takes you much longer. And this way does seem harder. And this way is going to make you trust me more. But it is the best way. I'm going to provide for you every single step of the way. I want you to know that every enemy that comes before you, you will be able to handle them and you will take them down. I have made you a promise and that promise will come to to pass. They could not see their reward. And sometimes that's like us. We can't see the end result. But that's where 2 Corinthians 5, 7 comes in. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Because sometimes if you can see every battle, every hurdle that comes in front of you, you're just going to sit down and be like, no. Can't handle that. Look how big that is. There's no way, God. No. You know what? I'll just stay right where I am at. Let's go ahead and turn to Psalms. Psalms 37. I was going to read one verse, but I want to read a good portion of this. I was uh, reading this the other day and meditating on it, and I had picked out verse 23. But I just kept rereading the whole chapter. So we're going to read a good portion of the chapter. And I encourage you later this week, just to maybe in your quiet time, to open up the, I said 23, Psalms 37, my bad. Psalms 37. Psalms 37. I encourage you to read this this week and really meditate on it. And it's an awesome, wonderful promise from God. So Psalms 37, starting in verse 1, it says, Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocent radiance like the dawn and the justice of your causes will shine like the noonday sun but still in the presence of the lord and wait patiently for him to act don't worry about the evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes stop being angry turn from your rage don't lose your temper it only leads to harm for the wicked will be destroyed but those who trust in the lord will possess the land so the wicked will disappear though you will look for them they will be gone the the lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity the wicked plot against the godly they snarl at them in defiance but the lord just laughs i love that how it says the wicked plot against the godly and they snarl at defiance and the Lord's just looking down on them like, 
Really? No. I'm laughing. I'm, you ain't going to prosper. You ain't going to. No, no. I'm God. I got this handled. Verse 13. But the Lord just laughs, for he sees the day of the judgment coming. The wicked, they draw their swords and string their bows to kill the poor and oppressed, to slaughter those who do right. But their swords will stab their own hearts, and their, bow, and their bows will be broken. It is better to be godly and have little than to be evil and rich. For the strength of the wicked will be shattered, but the Lord takes care of the godly. Oh, what a promise right there. As long as you are walking in his ways and you are living a godly life, God says, hey, I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry. You may not have a brand new car, but I'm going to supply everything you need. Verse 18, day by day, the Lord takes care of the innocent and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will be they will not be disgraced in hard times. Even in famine, they will have more than enough, but the wicked will die. The enemies are like flowers in a field. They will disappear like smoke. The wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous givers. Those the Lord blesses will possess the land, but those he curses will die. Verse 23 and 24 is two favorites of this passage. It says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of your life. Though you will stumble... You will never fall, for the Lord holds you with his hand. Sometimes it feels like we're on the ground. But God says, hey, you're only halfway there. Look back up to me, and I will pick you up. Sometimes we think that God has left us, when really we are the one who has ran ahead of God. And God says, hey, listen, I only provide for where I am at. You're trying to be up there. I'm not up there. I am not providing for up there. I am providing for you right here. In 40 years, the Israelites wandered around the wilderness. They fought many tribes. And they finally entered the promised land. Not in their timing, but in God's timing. Waiting for God to provide is hard, it's tiresome, and most importantly, it will test your faith. Waiting on God is more than patience. It's a hard-fought faith, a hard-fought knowing that God has got this. Many people in the Bible, they had to wait for God's timing. We just looked at two people who tried to do things their own way and tried to run when God said, I only want to walk. People who took their eyes off the promise, they took their eyes off the prize, and they started focusing on all of the problems.
They did not think that God was going to provide for them. They didn't think that he was in complete control. Now we're going to look at two characters who kept their eyes on the prize, who kept their focus God. First, I want to look at Ruth. So you can go ahead and start turning there. It's in the Old Testament, just a small four-chapter book. Not a lot of people know a lot about Ruth. But Ruth was an amazing, committed, and faithful servant. And without her waiting for God's timing, a lot of people in the Bible would not have been there. Because she waited for God's timing. The land was blessed. And we'll find that out at the end. So Ruth. So Elimelech and Naomi. They had two daughters. They had two sons. And there was a famine in the land of Bethlehem. So they decided to go to Moab. Well Moab was not a godly city was not a godly place they worshiped a lot of false gods a lot of pagan gods and they did not worship the one true god but because there was famine in the land elimelech's like you know what let's go down to moab i know there's food there god will provide for us there we just have to make sure we keep our eyes on him and not fall into their ways so they do that and ruth and elimelech's two sons they married moabite women Again, they married these pagan, idol-worshipping women. And Elimelech dies. And years later, ten years after they are married, both of her sons die. So now she is left there in this place that is not her own land. The only family she has there are her two daughter-in-laws, Orpha and Ruth. The famine was over back in Bethlehem. She says, you know what? I want to go back to Bethlehem. I want to go back to my family. I want to go back to my hometown. That is where I want to live. So they all set out together. And along the way, Naomi tells them, listen, you guys go back. Go back to your homeland. You know, go back home and be with your family. They're both like, no. You're our mother-in-law. We love you. We want to be with you. We want to help take care of you. So they go a little further. And a little further, Naomi tells them, listen, I am way too old to get married again. And even if I do get married again and have a son right away, are you going to really wait for that person to grow up to marry them? You women need to have children and start your own families. And Orpha, she decides, yes, you are right. And in verse chapter, in verse 14 of chapter 1, it says, They wept together. Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, said goodbye, and returned to her hometown. Naomi looked at Ruth and said, you need to go too. Go ahead. And Ruth said, no. Where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and be buried. May the Lord punish me severely. If I ever allow anything but death 
to separate us. The love that she had there was outstanding. She said, okay. For Ruth, this was an open door opportunity. She knew the land that she had come from. She knew that they did not worship the one true God. And she must have seen something in Naomi that was different. Said, you know what? This God that you serve, he is so much more amazing than the thousands of gods that we serve. Our gods haven't ever done anything for us. But I've heard about your God. I've heard about your God and how he took Moses out of slavery. I heard about your God and how he provided for Noah. I heard about your God. I want to serve him. She's seen this as an opportunity to grow and to serve God. Two decisions were made. One by Orphra said, I am going back to where I was, and I am going to make my own opportunity. I am going back, and I am going to make things happen. I'm going to call the shots. One decided, I know there is an opportunity for me somewhere if I just stay on this course. I know there's going to be an opportunity for me in Bethlehem because I've heard how God provides. I know he'll provide if I just keep going. Paul said this in 2 Timothy 4, 7. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. If there is one verse at the end of my life, on my deathbed, that I want to say I can cry out with and claim it is definitely that verse. I want to say, God, everything you placed before me, I conquered with your help. Every vision you gave me, we did it together. I served you to the end of my life, Father, and I hope you are pleased with me because I love you. That is going to be my prayer before I take my last breath. And that was exactly Ruth's plan. She didn't know what lied ahead, but she did know that God was working. She did know that God was going to be with them. Orphra, she was, did what was prudent, expected, and rational. And that is exactly what the world tells us to do. It says, use all of your time and energy and all of your resources to do this. Like I said, it's the microwave generation we live in. We want things right away. We don't want to have to wait for it. We don't want to have to let that meat marinate. It's going to take a while. No, we want it right away. Here's the crazy thing. People spend their health trying to get wealth. And then at the end of their life, they have to spend their wealth trying to get their health. Because we want things right away. We want things now, and it's an endless cycle. 
So Naomi and Ruth, they go back, and they need a way to survive. And Ruth says, you know what? Let me go and glean the fields. After those who pick, I'll pick up the stuff that falls on the ground. And that way we, we have a little bit of something. So she goes to the field of Boaz, and she starts picking the stuff up. And Boaz sees her. He's like, wow, who are you? She says, I'm here with Naomi. And he says, oh, well, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to just pick up the stuff that falls on the ground. I want you to go with these other women who I have favored. And I'm going to make sure that my men don't come near you and try and harm you. And when you are thirsty, I want you to make sure that you can stop and get a drink. I'm going to provide for you. So Ruth goes back and she tells Naomi this. I've been in Boaz's fields. And she says, Boaz, that is our kinsman redeemer. She said, that is your father's, that is your father-in-law's closest relative. If we find favor with him, you can marry him and everything will be taken care of. So they put out this plan. And Ruth kind of goes to him and she kind of lays down next to him. She says, you know, maybe me and you can get together. And that does happen. It's awesome that it happens. Ruth waited for her Boaz. Boaz has some other relatives. Some of us are not waiting for Boaz's for our Boaz. Men and women alike all over. Maybe somebody who's watching. You're not waiting for your Boaz. Maybe you're dating Boaz's other relatives. Boaz's other relatives are not godly men. Here are some of Boaz's other relatives. I want to make sure that you don't date them. You have lying as, cheating as, dumb as, good for nothing as, drunk as, beating as. Wait for your Boaz and make sure he respects your ass. It may take you a while to find your Boaz. Pastor, I can, I can feel your eyes on me right now. I know he has given me that look right now. I will pack up my office. I love you guys. I'll, Sterner, can you help me pack up my office at the end of the day? It may take you a while to find your Boaz. You may have to go through some loneliness. You may have to go through a wilderness. But it will be so much better once you find that one that God is saying, I want you to wait for them. One last little detail, one little tiny punchline that will surprise every Israelite. It reads that a baby is born to Ruth and Boaz, and Naomi is like a second mother, and they name him Obed. So look at Ruth chapter 4. We're going to look at the very last verse, 22. It's awesome. So Obed has a son, and his son's name is Jesse. And in verse 22, it says this, Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of of David, King David, the hero David. It turns out that Ruth, a Gentile, a Moabite, someone who was pagan, is now the great-grandmother of David. 
It's remarkable. It turns out that David, the greatest king of Israel, was not a pure-blood Israelite. He's part Moabite, part of that pagan culture. In the beginning of Judges, it starts out, says, when Judges rules oppressive, idolatrous days. Nobody knew that those days were numbered. Nobody knew what was coming. Nobody could have guessed it. But it all happened because a pagan Moabite Gentile widow loved her neighbor as herself. She did something unreasonable with her life. She walked through an open door and she let God set the pace. She has now stepped into the kingdom of God. But here's the thing. That story didn't just stop there in the Old Testament. If we turn over to the New Testament, what we find out that we call Jesus the son of David. So this pagan Moabite woman for half of her life knew nothing about God decided, you know what, God, I'm going to let you set the pace. I'm going to follow after you because she made the decision to walk with God's pace. We get our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, not a pure-blood Israelite. Jesus got a little Moabite in him. Ruth's story became a part of Jesus' story. And any time you step through an open door, your story becomes Jesus' story. They get mixed up together, and you get to work God into this world. Let God set the pace and wait for his timing. I want you to know this. While you are waiting, God is working. You may be waiting, but God is working something. In you, in your future, in your future business, maybe he's saying, I want you to learn a little bit before I get you set up. Point number three. One last final character. Point number three. You have to know that the promise and the pace won't match. The promise and the pace won't match. You may think, God, why am I walking? I should be running. I should be a lot ahead of myself. So Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. Go ahead and turn there. So... This is before they get to the land, the promised land. Moses has died. Joshua is now in charge. They are almost at the promised land, and they come to the walls of Jericho. One of their last battles. So Joshua chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now Jericho was a strongly fortified was strongly fortified because of the Israelites. No one leaving or entering. The Lord said to Joshua, "Look, I have handed I have handed Jericho to you, its king and its best soldiers over to you. March around the city with your all your men of war, circling the city one time. Do this for 6 days. 
have seven priests carry seven rams, rams, horn, trumpets in front of the ark, but on the seventh day march around the city seven times. While the priests blow the trumpets, when there is a prolonged blast of the horn, you will hear its sound and have all the troops give a mighty shout. The city walls will collapse and the troops will advance each man straight ahead. I want to take a closer look there at verse 2. Here is what God said. God said, I have handed it to you. Not, I am going to. He said, listen, I already have. I'm already there. I have handed it to you. But here is what you need to do. You need to walk at my pace. I know if I was Joshua in that place, I'd be like, whoa, 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 hold up, God, hold up. You want us to do what? You want us to walk around the walls. God, look at all the people we have conquered over the last 30-some years. You don't think we can handle them? Come on, God. And God said, no, I'm setting the pace. I want you to walk. It's in my timing. Trust in God's timing. It's better to wait and have things fall into place than to rush and have things fall apart. God's saying to him, listen, trust me. Trust me all the way. So they go ahead and they do this. And on the first day, they walk around. Now the walls of Jericho from research that I was doing was about nine acres. So three city blocks. So day one, three city blocks. Day two, three city blocks. Three, four, five, six, three city blocks. Day seven comes. He says, listen, this time you are going to walk around seven times. The first six times, you are not going to say a word. Now, I know most people here would have to stay back in the camp because there's no way we could be that long without being quiet. But he says, on the seventh time, you're going to walk around. They're going to blow those trumpets. I want you to shout because I have given you the victory. I have said you will take the city and it will happen. And that's exactly what they did. They obeyed God. They kept their pace. They kept their eyes on the prize. For me, many times I have tried to take my eyes off the prize. I have taken my eyes off the goal that God has given me. I used to think I didn't I didn't graduate from seminary. What 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 am I doing up here? Okay, God, maybe I can, you know, be a youth pastor to the children, but but be up here preaching? No, no. And God said this. He said, if you will be faithful where I have planted you, then I will produce a promise in your life. Maybe your greatest breakthrough is going to be where you are right now. What kind of pace are you walking? So we hop up on the treadmill of life and we start walking. We're like, all right, God, I've got this. You know, I can do this. What have you called me to? And all of a sudden, we're like, God, wait a second. This is kind of slow. 
I can do more. God, I know what your word says, and I know that it says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, God, I don't know why I'm walking. I know I can run. I know I can do it. I'm going to keep going for you. And all of a sudden, we get too tired because we did not let God set the pace. And we walk away from the Christian life. We say, that wasn't for me. I can't do that. Look how tired I am. Look how broke down, how worn out I am. No, that's not for me. And then all of a sudden we make a decision. And we come back. And we get back on the treadmill of life. And we're like, all right, God. But I want to run again. And God said, walk. But God, I can run. And we run into things. And what happens when you run into things? It hurts. When you run into a wall, you run into a pole. When you run into things, it hurts. And God said, listen, I'm setting the pace. Not you. I just want you to walk around that city six times right now. That is your goal, to walk. But on the seventh lap, I am going to give you a little more. Because now I know you can handle it. Now I have seen your growth. And I know that you will be able to sustain. Here's the thing about sprint runners. 100, 200, 300, 400 Long runners, distance, that's all they can do. 400 meters, and then they're tired. But when you get in a pace with God, it's a lot easier. It's a whole lot easier than doing it on your own. I want to be real with you. Just a minute, give you a personal story in closing my own life. I'm trying to set my own pace. I've been here for 12 years. And I've grown a lot. And about five, six years ago, me and Pastor were talking. It's like, you know, one day I'm going to license you. And I thought, awesome, you know, cool. I'm going to have a pastor in front of my name. But that's all it was to me at that moment. I was just thinking, oh, it's going to be a pastor, you know, yeah. A year went by, I'm thinking, man, is he going to license me? Is he going to license me? And I thought, man, what am I doing wrong? God has called me to the ministry. And I wanted my own pace. And if he probably would have licensed me at that moment, right away, when I was like, all right, I'm ready. The truth is, I wouldn't have been ready. I could have made a lot more mistakes. So two years ago, we get licensed. I'm like, cool, this is awesome, you know. 
but I wanted more. Instead of focusing on being here, I was like, you know what? Maybe I should be somewhere else. Maybe, maybe, maybe God's calling us somewhere else. And I thought, you know, I'm tired of working a nine-to-five job. I just want to be in the ministry. And I started focusing on that as a problem. And last year I had sent a resume out. Me and Allie, we went and visited the church. and I wasn't letting God set the pace. I was trying to do it on my own. Instead of being faithful where I was at and letting God build me, I tried to uproot myself and thought, maybe it's over here. Let God set the pace. Great and mighty and wonderful things will come. When you let God set the pace. I know you're at that job that you hate. That you despise. But maybe that is where you're going to have your biggest breakthrough there. Maybe that is where you will build a relationship and you will bring somebody else to Christ. So as the praise team comes up here, we're going to end this service with a shout of praise. Because God has given us the city. Go ahead and stand today. We are going to end. I want you to shout. I want you to thank God because he said, I will give you that city. I have torn those walls down if you just let me set the pace. Father God, once again, I come to you humbly as your child. As your servant, as one who is progressing, help us to follow your pace, to walk in your ways, to not try and run ahead of ourselves, to not try and run ahead of you, but to trust in your timing. We ask this all in your heavenly name.